You guys are in this conversation on identity and calling. Just a little bit of backstory. John Mark mentioned that my wife and I, until about four months ago, have been living and pastoring and trying to bring life to a city in Northern Ireland. We passionately believe it's the task of the church to bring life to the city. That's what we do. We are the light of the world, and uh, it's our wonderful privilege to bring hope to the city around us. And uh, we've been trying to do that for quite some time together, and we lived right on the north coast of Northern Ireland. Anyone ever been to Ireland? Again, if you just make me feel, I, I know you guys are into community and you are community together. Make me feel at home. Just turn to your neighbor and say, top of the morning to you. <laughs> top of the morning, right? A little bit Irish. So we're, we're right in this community. It's on the north coast. It overlooks the Atlantic Ocean. The, the area that we're in is the Causeway Coast. It's just been voted by Lonely Planet last week, the number one place in the world to visit. So it's, it's a stunning location. Um, it overlooks Donegal, which last year National Geographic said was the best place in the world to visit. I've been to Donegal. It's not that great. It's, it is great if you're hipster, so some of you guys might love it, right? Uh, I think there even the women have beards. It's amazing, right? It's an amazing so beautiful community, but where we live is on the Atlantic Ocean. You go, you go around the coast and you come to Dunluce Castle. Dunluce Castle, any C.S. Lewis fans? Yeah, so Dunluce Castle is where C.S. Lewis would spend his vacations as a kid. It's the inspiration behind Cape Paravel, if you know, uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. That's uh, right in our community. It's this 13th century castle. Absolutely beautiful. You continue around the coastline and you hit the Bushmills Whiskey Distillery. It's just wonderful. <laughs> you come out of there and you continue your journey. You do come out of there and you continue your journey uh, along a little bit further and you hit the Giant's Causeway, which is this uh, geological phenomena of hexagonal rock formations in pillars and columns. It's a natural phenomenon. It's one of the, uh, you know, people come from all over the world just to see it. It's stunning, and then uh, we have all of that, and then as you keep going, you come to Game of Thrones, where they film Game of Thrones, so it's, uh, that's your gift to us. Thank you so much. Uh, we give you castles, you give us Game of Thrones. We are deeply grateful to, to you. So we've, we've lived there for a while. We've just moved to Orange County, and we're kind of getting to grips with cultures there and all of that stuff, and just finding our feet and learning how to do life there and um, really figuring out how to do family, how to meet our neighbors and be the church in that community. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of context to who we are, to what we do. I'm so thrilled to be with you. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 together. Genesis chapter 2, just while you're turning there. This is the story of origins. This is the beginning of the story of God. It's the beginning of the story of humanity. It's uh, God beginning to release hope into the earth that He's created and fashioned and formed. And uh, in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about how God has created us in His image. That's how we find out who we are. We don't find out who we are by looking 
inward, we find it by looking at Him, and we discover who we are in the light of who He is. And we discover in Genesis 1 that we're image bearers, that is to say that we're made in His likeness, that His nature, His favor, His order is in our lives, that He's made us to be people who are generous and creative and compassionate and just, and that that's who we are as people, and that's what we carry. And we discover in Genesis 1 that we're not just image bearers, that we're kingdom carriers, that we carry His authority. He says, let them rule in the earth, and we realize that God has entrusted authority to us. And then it comes into Genesis chapter 2, which is where we're going to pick it up together this evening as we think about identity and calling as it relates to work. And it says in verse 7, then the Lord God formed humanity from the dust of the ground, and He breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. The word breath in Hebrew is similar, can be translated spirit. It's like He breathed into them by His Spirit, and the man became, or humanity became, alive. The Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there He put the man He had formed. And then as we come down, to verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And so we have this picture of God breathing life into humanity. So humanity is coming alive, and then what he's going to do is entrust humanity to bring life to everything around him. And that is God's goal for us as believers. His goal isn't that we come to church and pick up and volunteer in a ministry. God's goal is that we come alive in His presence, and then we bring life to every environment that we enter, whether it's a cafe or whether it's um, a workplace. Uh, we got dropped off yesterday at Fred Meyers. That's like the biggest store ever, isn't it? <laughs> Exit 297. I went to the restroom there and got lost. It's just it's just huge. So whether you work in Fred Myers, your task is to bring the kingdom, introduce the kingdom, introduce God's life into that environment or wherever you work. So where do some of you work tonight? What do you do? Just call it up. Again? Sorry? Where do you work? Anyone? Teacher. Brilliant. What else? Yep. What else? Chick-fil-A. Oh, I love Chick-fil-A is what we call it. <laughs> Chick-fil-A. We love Chick-fil-A. God bless Chick-fil-A. Ah, oh, man. Would you maybe just hold hands and pray for a minute that they open on a Sunday? Yeah, Chick-fil-A. What else? I missed that, sir. Yep. Where else? Coffee shop. A popcorn shop. Oh, that's a brilliant job. Brilliant. Brilliant. So wherever we are, we're trying to figure out what does it look like, the kingdom? What does the kingdom look like in that environment? What is God's design for that area of industry? And we discover in verse 15 that the humanity that is now coming alive is brought into an environment of work and is brought into the workplace not as a punishment and not even as a confinement, but God brings us there as His assignment for our life. That there's something about becoming fully His and fully human that requires us to be placed in an environment where we can work, where we can create. At this point, bear in mind that work is not about earning. God doesn't pay Adam for his work at the end of the week. That at this moment, work is a process of discovery and generosity and creativity. It's a learning environment. It's where Adam expresses what God has put within him on the world around him. So it's not about profitability or productivity. Work now is about, in this moment, is about mankind, is about humanity discovering purpose. And so God takes them, and He puts them to work. And I love that imagery that God sends 
Adam to work. He sends man to work. That we don't take God to our workplaces tomorrow, that he takes us to work. He's so excited about the work that you do. He's there waiting for you. He's like, I was wondering when you'd get here. What was the traffic like today, right? He's just excited to partner with us in our work. And I want to talk about four things tonight um, that God does with us in our workplaces. We discover identity and calling. The first thing is we get to be His partners, that our workplace is a place where we get to be His partners, and that is our identity. We're not just servants and sons and daughters. We're partners with God. And so we're learning how to be His partners, and one of the places we learn to do that is in the workplace. And he sends us to our work. That is to say that our work isn't divided in God's mind between holy activity, ministry activity, and industry activity. We're called to advance the kingdom, whether it's through the local church or the local company. All of us advance the kingdom every day. And in God's mind and heart, there's no separation between industry and ministry. There is no sacred-secular divide. In fact, there's actually a sacred-secular design when God looks at our workplaces, He formed those things with a particular original design that He would love for us to discern. So, work is the context not only of our story, but it's the context of His story. That's where His story is enfleshed and lived. Uh, and of course, we know all that, right? Jesus spends 30 years working and then continues in partnership with the Father as He calls His disciples. Work is where we encounter God. It's where He calls out of us what He's put in us. It's where we discover, oh my goodness, God has has shaped me for this particular thing. He's put that in me. And so, uh, work is more than where we make a social contribution, even though it does that. Work is actually a place of spiritual formation. You know, it's real easy to read Love Your Enemies, but it's really challenging to love your work colleagues. Uh, That's where we grow in that stuff, isn't it? It's like, bless those who curse you and gossip about you, and, and suddenly spiritual. Like, I'm, I'm really good at not sinning for the first 13 seconds of the day. <laughs> right? I can actually do really well until I meet people. <laughs> and then you take it into the workplace, and it's a whole other area of spiritual formation, isn't it? And there's something about our vocations that actually enhance spiritual formation, that they're a gateway and a pathway in that. And so, in our workplace, we're partnering with God. That is to say, our workplaces are not a place of His absence, they're a place of His presence. That it should be normal to encounter God at work, and sometimes profoundly encounter Him at work. And so, my my brother, uh, a number of years ago, he was about to go to work in the morning, and he was shaving, and uh, not like this, hopefully he was shaving a little more carefully. And he was shaving, and as he was shaving, he felt God speak to him. Uh, all that was is a sense in his mind about one of his work colleagues, and what he heard was this. Her mother's just been admitted to hospital with this condition. Ask her about it and then pray for her. And so, he goes into work that morning. He speaks to the colleague, and he says, hey, how's your mom? And she's actually, she's not well. And then John stops, and he said, she's just been admitted to hospital, hasn't she? And this is her condition. The girl's eyes widened. She said, how did you know that? He said, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, and I believe that He speaks today, and He spoke to me this morning about you. Well, all his other colleagues are listening in in that moment, and they're saying, John, did God speak anything for me? (laughs) And he's like, you know what? I didn't ask, but I'll ask (laughs) tomorrow. So, the next day, he asks. In the morning, he's shaving again, 
He's a hairy man. <laughs> has to shave every day. <laughs> it's like Esau. You know the Bible says Esau was a hairy man? He is a hairy man. So he's shaving again the next day, and he's asking God, do you have anything you want to say to my work college today? And God begins to speak to him. And so he goes in the next day, and he shares that with the colleagues. And that happens the whole week. And then his best friend at work, the guy who he would hang out with regularly, he said to him, John, did God give you anything for me? And it gets to the Friday, and uh, John's praying, and he's asking for his work colleague. And the father speaks to him. He says, John, he and his partner are trying to have kids, and they're barren. And John's kind of broken by that, but he, so the guy says, John, did, did God give you anything for me? And he said, you know what, he did, but can I take you to lunch and talk about it? Because that's not the sort of thing you want to say in the middle of the workplace, right? So they go for lunch, and he said, here's what God showed me. He showed me that you and your partner are trying for kids, and that you're barn. And the guy starts crying, and John starts crying, because he's worked beside this guy for years, but the guy's hidden his deepest pain from him. But in that moment, God shows, right? We want our work. Don't you want your workplace to be like that? Wouldn't that make it a little more fun? Yeah. I often think, I'm getting all off track. I'll come back. But I often think prophecy is a bit like legal gossip. (laughs) It's like God shows you what he sees in the people around you. So anyway, our workplace is a place where we encounter God. And somehow we separated our work from our faith and all of that. And we separated what God had joined together. But my sense is with you, and the days are coming for sure, when what has been separated will now be integrated. And the church will become a place where we don't only ordain ministers and deacons and elders, but where we ordain lawyers and filmmakers and sculptors and doctors and cleaners and hairdressers. And we learn that everyone everywhere is involved in kingdom ministry, irrespective of the title that they have, that we're all co-workers with God and we're all partnering with Him. We're longing for those days where we no longer value pastors above engineers or elders above sculptors, but we recognize that God works through us. The first mention of someone being filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible is Exodus 31, verses 1 to 5. We don't have time to go into it tonight, but it's a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit at their workplace. And so we're longing for those days when God moves in us that way. So that's the first thing that I want to say. The that we're partners, we're kingdom partners with God in our workplace. We're co-conspirators with Him. Our work is somehow connected to the good news, and sometimes that can be hard to see. How does my job reflect the good news? Oddly, the people who get that are ordinary as part of His story, the people who get this best are athletes. You know, if you you have uh, Tim Tebow here, isn't that his name? And he throws the He throws it, and uh, (laughs) let's say the wide receiver catches it. They run into the end zone, and uh, Tim Tebow in that moment, he might do this. And what he's saying in that moment is, God, you gave me the power to do my job well today. I did my job for your glory, and I want everyone watching here in the stadium and everyone at home to know today that it's you who gave me the ability to do my work well. Right? Athletes get that. In Europe, we don't have uh, this game. We have football and <laughs> soccer. We have soccer. Go Timbers. Come on. 
So we have soccer, and, and in soccer, what they'll do is uh, Ronaldo or someone will head the ball in the goal, and then they'll run, and they'll strip off their top, revealing perfectly formed abs. <laughs> and then some Christian footballers, when they strip off their top, they might have a message about God on it. They might say, Jesus saves, or something like that. And they'll run around, and they point up like this. Have you seen it? And again, they're saying, God, you gave me the ability to do that, and my work is for your glory. Try that if you're a dentist. <laughs> right. <laughs> Imagine you've got the patient in the chair, and you've just drilled the perfect filling. Like, it's just, the hole is magnificent. <laughs> you're saying, isn't that brilliant? And they're saying, ah, oh, ah. Oh. Just take the drill out and then run around <laughs> and point it up because your dentistry is as much filled with the glory of God as the best worship set you've ever experienced. God is in the ordinary of our workspaces. Well, let's say you're not a dentist. Let's say you're an accountant. And let's say on Wednesday you nail the spreadsheet. Like <laughs> everything is aligned. It's all it's all aligned, then what I'd love for you to do is just gently push yourself back from the desk, take the spreadsheet in your hand, and because you're an accountant, the likelihood is you don't have perfectly formed abs, so just... <laughs> just go around the office and recognize that God graced you for that industry. It's God's grace in our ordinary story. That is what identity and calling look like together, that it's holy unto the Lord. In fact, here's what the Bible says. Eugene Peterson phrases it wonderfully well in the message. Uh, but Romans 1 says, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship, your spirit-fueled, spirit-filled act of worship. Eugene Peterson phrases it this way. He says, here's what I want you to do. Take your ordinary everyday life, your eating, sleeping, going to work life, and put it before God as an offering. This is your act of worship. And in that moment, your accountancy, your dentistry is worship. Okay, here's the second thing that we are at work and where God meets us, and the others will be a little bit quicker, uh, is that we're not only partners with God at work, we're dreamers with God at work. I love that he didn't give Adam instructions on how to work the garden. He took them and he placed them in the garden, but he didn't tell him what to do. Wouldn't you love a job where you didn't have health and safety rules? He doesn't tell him what to do, and I think part of that is God wants to see what's going to bubble up. God loves to see the ingenuity. He's made us in His image, which means there's ingenuity in us. And He's longing to see what we'll do with what He gives us. Some believers want God to tell them everything. How boring would that be for God? If He has to tell us everything, He loves to see what's in your heart. He loves to see what's in your mind. Um, sometimes we pray this in churches, don't we? We pray things like this, God, all of you and none of me. Well, that's, that's like a really dumb prayer because <laughs> he had that before he made you. It was all of him and none of you then, but he created you <laughs> because he wanted it to be all of him in all of you. 
right? In every area of your life, He loves your imagination. He loves your ideas, your inventions. He loves working and partnering together. To be human is to have a dream coursing through your veins. It's not only to be breathing, it's to be dreaming, and it's to be dreaming about our industry and about how we can bring life to the environment around us. And Adam is beginning to dream in this. And I love that we get to delight the heart of God by the dreams that we bring. Our vocation is not only a revelation of who He is, it's an expression of who we are. And when we do our job to the glory of God, whatever you do, whether work or whatever, to the glory of God, when we do that, uh, we're expressing an aspect of who He is and uncovering who we are, who He's made us to be. There's a little example and clue of this in the text in verse 19. It's a little bit fun. Uh, It says, the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Isn't that a bizarre text? God just brings all the animals to Adam and says, what do you think that should be called? He's waiting to hear Adam's inventions. He wants to know, because when you would speak in Hebrew culture, when you gave something a name, you were giving it an identity. You were calling out its original design. You were calling out its nature. So the first one for Adam didn't go so well. It was aardvark, right? It's like, I don't know, aardvark? Gabriel's like, aardvark it is. <laughs> but, but man gets to name God's creation. Isn't that incredible? He gets to name the animals. Why did God do that? Because he just thought it would be fun to partner together and dream together and call out the design. And God allows us to do that in our industry. Part of the reason you're at work is to discern God's call for your particular industry. God has called over individuals and institutions and industries and economies and workplaces and universities and families and cities. The call of God isn't just linked to individuals. It's over all those things. We get to discern that and to call it out, and we do that as we dream with Him. Now, all of that's a little bit, sounds glorious, but the truth is work is difficult, right? We don't have time tonight to talk about the challenges and the difficulties. It's actually not my uh, task with you tonight, but we know in Genesis chapter 3, the creation enters the great distortion, and sin comes, and uh, work, God says, is going to be marked with thistles and thorns. It's going to be challenging and difficult. There's going to be relational complexities and difficulties there. Um, and, and we suddenly see that this beauty of work, this place of work becomes distorted, and it becomes marked with the pursuit of possessions and profitability and manipulation and exploitation and all manner of things. But this was never God's design. God's goal is always that original creation. That was His original design. And so, therefore, our task as believers becomes the restoration of that design at work so that we go into our workplace and we don't complain about our work. Um, I want to push in this for 60 seconds a little just in thinking this through. The language of complaint never belongs on the lips of a believer. It's just not who we are, right? We're made in His image. He never complains. He just never does. Can you imagine God like, I'm so fed up with this. <laughs> uh, they would just look at Him and say, but, but you have all authority. You could do something in this. Never complains. The language of complaint never belongs in the believer. Because we're the light of the world, we never complain about our workplace. A a place of darkness is job security for us as believers. Hello? (laughs) 
why would you complain about job security, right? You're like, man, there'll always be room to be the light of the world because there's so much darkness. That's why um, when people say, to, why would you move to America? Like, do, don't you know everything that's happening there? And haven't you heard? I won't go into that, but haven't you heard? <laughs> but like, I know, but what better time to be the church? What better time to be the light of the world? What better time? Has there ever been a better time in the whole of history to tell a different story? Has there ever been a better time to be people of astonishing, prevailing hope? Has there ever been a better time to be the salt of the earth? What's, what use is salt if everything's already flavored, but we have this beautiful task? That's what we get to do at a micro level in our workplaces. We do that together with him. And this part of our role is cultivator. And that's the third part, and we're almost done. That's where we cultivate with God. We grow things from the bottom up. We recognize, gosh, this environment isn't perfect. This isn't ideal. But I'm going to work this with God. I'm going to cultivate with him because I'm made in his image. I'm going to cultivate with him. We're going to begin to see life come from the bottom up. And that's what we do. We begin to shift the environment. We got to see this at home again and again. When the recession hit, it's the task of the church not only to plant churches, but plant businesses. And so as a church at home, we began planting businesses all over our community because we believe God likes business. He's for the law. When the economy flourishes, the city flourishes. Yeah? People get dignity and all that stuff. So we started planting churches and businesses. And we did a thing... Um, I think you call it like shark, shark tank here, <laughs> where we had um, 10 local business owners put together 10,000 pounds each, so a pot of 100,000 pounds, and people could pitch their business ideas, and out of that came 17 businesses that we were able to finance in that. Well, that's, that's the church cultivating. Isn't it saying, let's generate something here. Let's get entrepreneurs and investors and begin to move forward. That's what we do because we all know, don't we, uh, change never comes from the top down. It comes from the inside out. It comes from, it's who we are that begins to bring change in our workplace. And then the final part of who we are in this is storytellers. We get to inscribe the story of God through the work that we do. We get to release that into our communities and our cities. And of course, we do that uh, in, in the way my brother did, sometimes you go to work and you have a God story. You just have something that God did that can only be blamed on him. You get that prophetic word. You get that insight into a colleague's circumstance. You perhaps pray. You ever prayed for someone at work? It's a little more awkward than at church, isn't it? Have you ever noticed when you pray for someone at work, the band don't magically appear in the background? <laughs> That's never happened to me once. I've never prayed for someone in the streets or in a workplace where the band has appeared. They're never there when you need them, those worship leaders. <laughs> and usually in work, there's not another Christian to help you pray. You're just on your own, right? And then when you pray for someone in work, they don't like immediately assume position. <laughs> they just lock eyes with you the whole time. And you get about 30 seconds to pray your best prayer because you don't work and you have to do your job. And if you pray for like an hour at work, you're gonna get fired. And so we kind of learn, gosh, those moments are amazing when God shows up and brings healing. I could tell you story after story of healings at work. It's just beautiful when God does that. It's just another way we tell his story at work. But probably my favorite way we tell his story at work is just through the work that we do. The work that we do tells his story. 
begins to reveal and release his story. And uh, one of my favorite guys in that was a guy whose name was George. He was the son of a business owner, and he began expanding his business. As he expanded his business, it was flourishing, and it was, uh, they were able to employ more people and bring dignity to them. But as he looked at his workers, this was in the uh, 1800s, as he looked at his workers, he realized that they didn't have great homes. And so he decided that he was going to treat them with dignity, and he would build them homes. And so he built homes for his workers, but he didn't just build the bog standard. Sorry, that's an, um, do you use that phrase here? Box now. He didn't just build the basic homes. He, he went above and beyond. Instead of paying 750 pounds, he spent 1,150 pounds, and he gave them back and front gardens so that after work, they would have a place in 1800s to raise their families and to do it with dignity. And so he's, his name was George Cadbury. It's where we get Cadbury's chocolate. <sighs> Let's just take a moment, linger there. And he creates, this, he creates this village. He creates this village, and he does it because he's good at making chocolate. But because of his ability to do what he does for the glory of God, he was a Quaker. The Quakers uh, had some of the best banks in the UK and all sorts of things, incredible people. You know, they were called Quakers because they would like, the power of God would come on them and they would shake. Isn't, that, isn't it mad to think our bankers used to shake? Yeah. And then they'd call them holy rollers because they would literally roll a cloth across church. And then those were the guys who the next day were doing the entrepreneurial deals in the city. Stunning, isn't it? Well, this Quaker guy, he creates this village. And, and still today, you can see it's just that in Birmingham, in Bourneville, in Birmingham. You can go see that. It's an incredible testimony to the story of God, to a whole community coming alive because someone did their job well. So as you go to work tomorrow in about, I don't know, 12 hours' time, 15 hours' time. As you go there, I want you to be encouraged that you're writing the story of God through what you do. You don't, you don't just, um, what's the phrase? I, I don't work to live. I don't live to work. I work to live, right? That's almost true. You work to bring life. You don't live to work and you don't work to live. Work is not just a place where you go and get the money that you need so you can do what you want. That's consumerism. That's not who we are. Work is the place that we go and we get to bring His life into every area of culture.